Welcome to Real Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of the Jack Riley Adventure Series. And today we will be talking to author Andrew Clausen. Hey, Andrew, welcome to Real Life Fiction. Um, happy to have you on. Matt, thanks. I am excited to be here. Uh, just, just thrilled. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So uh, the gist of the show is we are going to be talking about real life fiction, meaning a little bit of background about you as the writer, about uh, maybe where some of the inspirations have come from that have kind of helped launch uh, a few of your series, uh, specifically one in general that I want to talk about, which is your Harry Fox uh, series, mostly because it very much um, links into the main genre that uh, I myself adore, which is those action-adventure, rompy, and I guess we now call them the archaeological thrillers. Uh, that's kind of the uh, uh, the name that a lot of us have coined over the last few years. Um, so can you just kind of tell us a little bit, bit, bit about yourself to kind of get started? Sure. Uh, so my name is Andrew Clausen. I am a writer. I have about 13 books now out uh, what I'm focused on mainly is, like you said, the archaeological adventure series, the thrillers. Uh, that's you know a passion of mine, just like it is for you. I've been doing this for about 10 years now, and uh, it's just a, an evolving world that I'm excited to be in. Uh, excited to be here to talk with you about this because I know we have similar interests. Uh, your Jack Riley series aligns a lot with my Harry Fox series. So uh, we'd like to dive into those and uh, just kind of you know, like you said, nerd items. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it's like when I first uh, discovered your your work and I saw Arthurian Relic. I'm like, okay, all right, I like that. And then kind of start going through your uh, your portfolio a little bit. Like I said, specifically this one series, and uh, I was like, okay, okay, I, I can see where this guy's coming from. You know, he's very much uh, into the uh, the mythology and the lore, but also a lot of that historical backbone. Um, and that's what I try to do. Like I try to have every story as like grounded as humanly possible because I've done the sci-fi thing where I get into like aliens are responsible for this. Uh, and it's fun. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the, the book that specifically that's based around called cradle of death, um, that I wrote was great. But at the same time, the kind of leaning towards that sci-fi, like Stargate type of stuff, it was a little too much for me personally even though I did really, really enjoy writing that book. And then when I started with this Jack series, um, I decided I'm going to get like super grounded and just really, really dive into the area where he's going and into the lore and into the, um, the historical, uh, like I said, the historical backbone of it. And um, it kind of just evolved into what it is. And um, I'm actually kind of interested in that. So with, with this series, like how did you say I'm going to write this style of series with this character like where did it come from in like your in your in your personal world so the harry fox series is as you mentioned these books are they're grounded in history and we i think we both take our inspiration from the historical roots and the what if and you look at the past for inspiration and you kind of just wonder you let your imagination run wild so uh specifically the harry fox series the first book is called the arthurian relic and it revolved, the MacGuffin, or the kind of central piece in the story, revolves around the Arthurian tale. King Arthur, Camelot, Guinevere, you know, Sir Lancelot, Knights of the Round Table type of stuff. But 
what I did was I always had an appreciation for that story for, um, you know, I read Le Morte d'Artor in high school and loved it and kind of got uh, more interested in it. Obviously there have been a lot of movies about King Arthur and then, um, even in the Disney movie that we probably all watched when we were kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, Sword and Stone and like all yeah. that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, classics. So, um, you know, that just kind of that having that background in the, in the whole epic tale, it sparks an interest. And I thought, you know what, this would make a great story. And I wanted to tell it in a way that's never been told before. And I think that's something that, that we all try and do with our stories. You take something from the past and you put your own twist on it. And it makes people think while also engaging them and getting them to learn about the past. Maybe, you know, do it, learn a few things they didn't know before, or at least spark an interest in history. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing is the one thing that I reiterate constantly whenever i talk to anybody about this stuff but specifically other authors and um funny enough i was just talking to uh ernest mc about this and uh he had me on one of his uh shows and him and i overlap like incredibly well as far as like interest and we laugh about it all the time and we're like we need to like coordinate with what we're writing because it just seems like you and i are always picking on the same stuff and like, I'm currently writing uh, a book about my version of Shangri-La. And it's one of those things where like, I come from the, well, modern is like the Uncharted like series and like that kind of stuff where like one of the biggest stories of that series is he does a book about Shambhala, which is like the ground grounding of Shangri-La. And I'm like, man, I really want to tell this story. I really want to do something with it, but it's been like beaten to death over the years with so many different movies and stories and but that actually makes it more of a challenge and maybe more fun because i really get to um i really get to do it my way and then the story develops and you're like yeah this is completely different <laughs> it's like you really don't really see it until you get like further into the book and you're like yeah i've never heard of anybody doing this before <laughs> So, but that's, that's the fun of it. I mean, honestly, I'm sure you, you get the same thing. Like, like King Arthur, I mean, there's a ton of stories about King Arthur, but when you can really make it your own, it's like, it's even more satisfying, you know? Oh, yes. And, and, and like to reference your Shangri-La story that's coming along, um, which I, you know, heard a little bit about that. And I'm excited for that. It sounds awesome. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's this, this mythos, but it has such an open-ended storyline that it can become, because I mean, you know, being honest, both of these are more fiction than fact. So a lot of this stuff can just be molded to whatever you want it to be. You can create your own, make it your own. Uh, for example, you know, as you, as you had asked, the Arthurian relic that I wrote, that puts a new spin on King Arthur that you really haven't seen before. And I think that's what um, has been, you know, the driver of success behind it. Uh, I know just for example, you know, your Jack Riley series, huge fan of it. And just full disclosure, you know, I was a big fan of yours before we connected. You know, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, uh, your first, first book revolves around um, kind of a, a third Reich treasure, Nazi treasure hunt sort of. And yeah. while that's not a new story, the way you tell it is, and that's what makes it interesting because we all come from this baseline level of knowledge about you know, the, the rise of the Third Reich and World War II and Nazi Germany. But then it evolves into a new tale you've never heard before. And that, that's what makes it really exciting. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm like you in that I also love to pay homage to what came before me. And in this case, we all owe our existence to Indiana Jones. 
and like I was the weirdo that had indie stuff where all the other kids were Star Wars and Star Trek. You know what I mean? Like I loved that stuff growing up. And so it's like, what does Indiana Jones or what is he known for in a lot of his movies? He's known for punching Nazis. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, like that's kind of like his, his, you know, his antithesis. That's like his bad guy is the Nazis. And it's kind of just, it's, I'm like, when I read about that treasure specifically, the Nazi gold train, and I'm like, how can I do this differently and do this bigger? Cause I'm like, yeah, there's supposed to be like 40 or $50 million worth of treasure. That's was stolen from all the Royal families that the Nazis um, took over in, in Poland specifically. And I'm like, where is it? What happened to it? And then as I started doing more research and I realized that there's, God, I hate to say it if nobody's read the book though, because yeah, you don't want to spoil it. Because <laughs> yeah. like, when this is this is see, this is a part of the process, which is what I also want to talk to you about. Is that book was supposed to be one hundred percent Nazi gold train, and it is, but it evolved into something more bigger uh, about halfway through, and that was like a holy cow moment for me when I figured it out. And that this is like quite literally while I'm writing the book. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> like, this is going to be great. And I just went with it. And that's just kind of what it is. And I, that's, if we want to veer that way, it's like, I don't outline a lot. I, I get the book started with outlines as far as like, just the general direction. But um, I'm really interested in like your kind of process and getting a story together. Because I know some authors that like, they outline so deeply that I'm like, dude, are you ever going to write the book? <laughs> and it's like, it's like a book report, like a homework assignment. And I'm just like, ah, I can't do that. And then I know some authors that need to outline a little more, but uh, I'm kind of leaning. I'm not really in the middle. I do probably need to outline more personally, but I just love to let it flow organically because I think it comes out to the reader that the story is just like, you know, the twists and turns and stuff, a lot of the time is just us discovering the story as we write it. I, I agree completely. Uh, you know, there are people who say that they write by the seat of their pants. Their pants. Yep. Their pants. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot in between. It sounds like you're in the middle there. Uh, I would say personally, I have much more on the plotting side. Uh, you know, I've got the Excel spreadsheet and I've got everything lined up. Oh, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> Uh, I can actually, without giving away, I actually have yellow ledger pads. So, and every single book I've ever put together is a yellow ledger pad full of scribble. I'm just old school like that. That that's basically my outline. And then when I'm writing, the Word doc has like two or three chapters ahead of like blah 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 needs to go here, to, and he does this, and that's it. <laughs> There's like very else, very little done. Um, and I, it's probably by design. I just don't want to spend a, a ton of time not writing, I guess. No, that makes sense. Uh, I think that that method leads to better character development. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, but you have the genesis of the story and you know where you're trying to go generally. And then you let your characters take you there. Yeah. And that provides a story that is surprising, not only to you, as you said, you, you know, you figured it out through your, your first Jack Riley adventure, uh, that you were going in a different direction than initially thought, other than just Nazi treasure. Uh, again, sure. I, don't, I don't want to 
given any way. <laughs> and and the best stories are always about something other than what they're talking about. I think. And yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, the character development is important. Um, I, I try to keep my books character centric. So they are the ones that are um, basically revealing everything. I don't want the narrator to have too much power. Um, and it's probably a faux pas on my side that I do that in that the classic third person perspective of the he said, she said, I kind of dive into the knowledge of the character that I'm representing at the time more than typical. Meaning like if Jack, if it's Jack's point of view, a lot of the time I revert back to what Jack knows uh, instead of what the narrator knows, which in this case is everything. A, because I, I don't want to reveal something too early and B, I don't want to say it this way, but I almost feel like it, in, at least in my world, this is completely me. It feels kind of lazy. Um, because the narrator has full control and the narrator can do whatever he wants, which is of course us. We're narr I mean, we are, that's what we do, but it's like, if the character finds out as in this case, the reader finds out, I don't know, it's, that, that style has always appealed to me and I have zero formal education when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I probably just developed that on my own because that's how I wish it was more, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's that's getting deep into the weeds, which we don't have to go. But uh, and that's just style style preference. I mean, everybody's different. You know, I've had people tell me, oh, you need an editor. You need to learn how to write. You need this. You need that. And then I've had a lot of other people say the exact opposite. So it's, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah. now you, you raise a good point, you know, kind of having that if you have more of an omniscient viewpoint where you're all knowing that takes away in some ways some of the suspense. Yeah, more of a the way I so the way you described it is a lot of the way I think too. I imagine that there's a camera that we're viewing the story through the lens, mm -hmm. and I always try and start out with having that camera at a at a high level, and you're looking down on the world, and it's more of just kind of a general description, explanation, get people into the scene, and then that camera zooms in and it goes behind somebody's eyes, and you're looking at the world through their eyes, and you're living, yeah. you know, and you can zoom out from the world and go back high and go into someone else's brain. But maintaining that point of view with the limited aspect that you described, I think that provides for a, in, in our world, a tighter story that has more surprises around the corner. I agree. I mean, I, I, I do. And, and, but I 100% but I also appreciate um, the, I guess you'd call it the more classic style, you know, where, like you're saying, you set the, you set the setting and then you kind of dive into it. I'm very much... I guess this is the the movie guy in me and the video game guy in me, um, where it's like I love getting my characters into like just a terrible, terrible situations and just crap and having them dig out of it. And like I'd rather have Jack like wake up from being beaten unconscious and go, What the hell, where am I? And then that's where the the setting develops. Mm -hmm. And then he's figuring out where he is as, as the reader is. And I, it's probably because my, my biggest influences as a writer aren't necessarily other writers. They're actually movies. And it's like, so I see everything through that director's lens, which is more like how suspenseful and how cinematic can we make it? And then I'm t also telling a story. So it's like, uh, maybe that's just, like I said, that's just me. Um, but I mean, all of my favorite writers are definitely not me. So I mean, I, I can appreciate both styles. 
Um, I've just, you know, in this case, it's more like probably because naturally one of the, the, the things I love to do is write from the first person perspective. I, I love writing from inside the character's head, like literally, and uh, seeing the scene as it develops as you would uh, if you were there. So uh, probably blending those two styles is where I currently am. And uh, I don't know, it works for me. Uh, it seems to work for most of the people that read my stuff, but I know it's definitely not the norm. And uh, like I said, I can definitely appreciate the norm. Um, but um, real quick, uh, I, so I'm reading your bio on Amazon and uh, you have a rescue black cat, which is kind of cool because so do I. And uh, I just, I had to bring that up. That's just funny because my, my bio actually says the exact same thing to a, to a degree. So I, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, was he uh, like, we found ours. He was eight weeks old in my mother-in-law's front yard. Um, oh. he was a stray stray. So he was, uh, w and he just literally walked into her house looking for food. And I'm like, she's like, you guys want a cat? I'm like, no. And of course my family's like, yes. I'm like, uh, okay, uh, here we are. <laughs> great. Um, yeah. So just at it for all the listeners, we were chatting about this beforehand and yeah. we both were talking about how our animals can come in and be sideline guests during any conversations we're having. So I gave my cat the boot out and I know you've got, you're somewhere else, but then we have the dog to worry about too. So yeah, yeah. I, I always say he's my desk kitty. Um, I have this L-shaped desk, and on for the camera on this side, uh, it wraps around, and that's where I have like my phone charger. It's where I have like my yellow ledger pad because I'm probably like 60 at heart when it comes to notes. And uh, he inevitably jumps on that side of my desk and just plops down on top of everything. So then I'm like moving everything because I, I like it when he's here. I just give him a little pet while I'm working, but. Uh, he definitely loves to knock stuff over, so I have to kind of keep that area clean because he's coming up there regardless if I want him to or not. Oh, what do I call him? Uh, in my, I just realized I called him a overly dramatic uh, black cat, and that's kind of what he is. But uh, I was trying to remember what I called him in my uh, in my bio. But yeah, that that's exactly what he is. Yeah, now of course I have my dog um, looking out the window. He doesn't want to go outside and do anything, but I'm guarantee you there's a squirrel on the fence that he's going after, or at least he wants. But uh, but yeah. Um, so we talked kind of a little bit about where a lot of this comes from. And um, I know we both have an affinity for like Indiana Jones and stuff, but uh, was there any other um, inspirations for you, uh, whether it's recently or growing up that kind of blossomed your love for like this stuff? So that's a great question. Uh, my first and foremost is, you know, the Indiana Jones stuff. And I actually, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I have the gold medal here. Yeah. Nice. Writing buddy sometimes. Yeah. To my, sorry, my camera. I, I don't know how, what I'm doing. So yeah, to my over my right shoulder past this uh, map is actually the movie poster for Raiders. Yeah. And then I have a bookshelf he, on this side. The, the whole bottom of the bookshelf, like the entire bottom of the bookshelf is just random. Uh, Indiana Jones, Uncharted, The Mummy, 1999's The Mummy, The Good Mummy. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually both iterations of Tomb Raider, just because that's another big one for me. And it's just like as random stuff as you can find collectibles that I have found over the years. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm surrounded by this stuff. I even have a caricature that got painted or drawn it painted, I guess at Disney of me dressed as Indiana Jones. So right. on my wall, but, uh, yeah, no, I get it. Um, uh, so, uh, besides Indy, what were you saying? Anything? Uh, so I'm, I do love the mommy movies. Those are, those are off Brendan Fraser. I think those are so much fun. Uh, oh yeah. I also, so a lot of it has come from, this is going to sound a little different, but kind of uh, an appreciation, I'm sure, you, I know you have the same thing when we talk about this, is the appreciation for history of all different eras. 
Uh, specifically, I'm I'm really into the Revolutionary War type of era, you know, colonial America, sure, um, you know, late late eighteenth century. Uh, that that's really something that I'm I'm interested in, and you can take and just like we were talking about earlier, you know, your um, Jack Riley series, it has inspirations from all across the spectrum. The second book uh, references Teddy Roosevelt. Yep. So, you know, the Revolutionary War, developing America, kind of how we came to be, both the good and the bad, those are aspects that shape where the stories come from. And you don't have to have an artifact that's from the Mayans. You can have something that came from during the revolution or something of that nature. So realizing that history is an endlessly fascinating place to be mined for information. Uh, so, you know, I, I had a love for the river to get back to your question. I love for that. Honestly, you know, I, feel, I have a feeling you're going to like these too. I was a big back to the future fan. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, back is the fifties. It's like, all right, that was a different time period. It was truly a different world. So yeah. anything that's behind us is always something that I, I really, yeah, and it's it. That's what's so cool about this stuff, and I still can't it, like wrap my head around it. You have maybe it's an appreciation for the reader because there's so many great authors out there that write this stuff, and the stories continue to get pumped out and they continue to sell. And I think that kind of says a lot about the reader too, right? Um, where you're like the reader is just as fascinated about this stuff as we are as the writer. Cause I mean, at the, at, at our, at heart, we're the reader too, but it's, it's kind of cool that like, I, I just referenced Ernie, uh, Ernest Dempsey. He had a, uh, where horizons end come out and that's um, basically his Shangri-La. And I, when I announced mine, it was like a couple months after that was released and it was just, it's just one of those weird timing things. And I, uh, it was, people are like, Oh my God, I can't wait to hear. Or I can't wait to read what you've come up with compared. You know, it's like people are gung ho about it. They don't care. They're just like, I want, I want the stories. I want the characters. And I think that's what happens when you have those character driven stories is people fall in love with the characters and they're just like, cool. Another story about, you know, with this character, they're not really, I don't want to say they're not as interested in the, the actual plot itself, but having those developed characters and those lovable characters really just kind of glue the story together. Cause you can write about all this stuff all you want, but if, if, if there's nothing actually like fun or interesting going on, it's like, what's the point? One other thing is, I don't know if you, um, the Bernard Saxon's stories, uh, sorry, Bernard Cornwell's Saxon tales, which they made into that Netflix series, the last kingdom. Uh, so those are set around the formation of England, and, and it talks about one of his ancestors who fought, or lived and fought around the time of the battles, and King Alfred was turning four separate kingdoms into one, the birth of England. So that was something that, you know, another part of the past. But that story, there's so many Viking tales out there, but I, I still read them. You know, they're great. It's different. There's a big hairy guy with a sword and a, he drinks mead from a drinking horn, but they all <laughs> have adventures, and they're different people. Yeah. Um, you know, they all pray to the same guy. So it's a, it's a pretty cool, cool way to look at through different viewpoints of history. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I even did a, um, a, a novella with uh, David Wood called Berserk. And uh, it's a part of his uh, Dane Matic expanded universe. And um, it was about Odin's berserker warriors. But um, I went like way over the top sci-fi with it, like where, like where it developed, where it came from. And it was basically like a, an alien relic that would uh, 
change the hearts of men and bring out the worst in them and like the beasts in them. Um, it was uh, the Spear of Odin, basically, which is a real thing, uh, at least in the mythology of it all. But uh, I just decided to make it like, obviously, a little bit more, well, I guess, super modern. But uh, uh, yeah, it was kind of the, the same idea. I'm like, I saw a picture of a fjord and I'm like, God, I really want to write a book in this area because it's just gorgeous. I think that would be fun. And then I'm like, wow, I haven't really done anything in the, the Viking lore yet. And then, you know, you just research, 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 and you're like, cool, <laughs> Let, let's write about this. <laughs> and then I kind of figured out a story just based around a picture that I saw, you know, and a setting, you know. The stories can, so that's interesting you said, the stories can really germinate from the oddest points. Like, so you're, I, I've actually wanted to ask this beforehand we didn't get to, that Jack Riley series, where, like, did you have a, where did it come from? And, and I have a reason for asking. So... The Jack Riley series is kind of my reintroduction into the archaeological thrillers because the first series I ever wrote, really the first book I ever wrote, was um, Hank Boyd, and it was called Blood and Sand. And that was very much an homage to the line from The Mummy, you know, my whole damn garrison marched out into the desert and all we found was sand and blood. And uh, um, sorry, I just watched that movie like three times in the last two weeks. So <laughs> Mummy 99 was just released in uh, UHD on Prime. And it's completely remastered, and it's gorgeous. And I'm like, okay, bought. <laughs> and then I watch it a few times just because seeing a movie like that that kind of looks more mo like new yeah. is just exciting for me. But uh, that was my initial homage to indie, and uh, the direction got really big and um, outlandish and sci-fi. And as a new writer, I got so over the top with it that it was honestly a little, a little hard to reel in. And um, I don't want to necessarily say that series was a failure by any means, because it's not. Um, that was like, that's kind of what made me what I am as far as like the direction I want to go. But the Jack Riley character specifically was more grounded in history. I kind of wanted a do over and I wanted something that was going to be more plausible. I mean, just uh, uh, the only way I could describe it. And the character himself was very much birthed out of, uh, I think it was the movie 13 Hours with John Krasinski. And I think that was it. I'm really bad with movies and stuff like that because I've seen so many. But um, basically, I saw another picture of him in Fatigues. And he had the, the beard. This is like buff, handsome, like badass John Krasinski, not Jim. Um, which, yeah. I mean, we all... That Tom Clancy series, like, man, he's been in the gym. Yeah, yeah, no, no, he's he's amazing. He's amazing. And um, my brain was going, that's Jack Riley. And then I start, like, I had, I finally had, like, this, like, poof, like, moment. And um, the, the name came from uh, Matthew Riley and Jack West Jr. So Jack Riley was, like, my thank you to Matt Riley for penning that series. Because um, that was, like, the holy cow rompy more more sci-fi in it than than i'm usually writing but at the same time like wow this is like massive this is like gigantic and uh the, this this seven ancient wonders and th this that whole series was just like mind-blowing to me when i was when i first started reading them years ago and um it was it there was like so many like pieces put together and then falling in love with the Uncharted video games and just there was like so many things I needed to say thank you to 
and wanted to pen and dive into that um, it just kind of birthed the series when I sat down and said, I really want to get back into like, because I, I, I deviated a little bit into some other styles because these are stories that I just never got to tell. And I'm like, yeah, let's write these. And then when I, when I basically rededicated myself to the, the genre, the adventure genre, I, I went in with a full head of steam and said, this is, this is all I'm going to write because I mean, I know I'm good at it. I know they sell. I know for whatever reason I'll deviate, but then I inevitably just come back home and I'm like, this time I'm just not going to deviate. And making that decision a few years ago was like the best thing I've ever done. Uh, like you were saying, once you started writing Harry Fox, you were like, wow, I, uh, I picked the right time to kind of dedicate myself and, uh, like not, I mean, honestly, we're, we're businessmen at the end of the day. We, we, we need to do what, what is best for our God. I hate saying this cause I'm not this, but our brand mm-hmm. and, um, but what sells and I mean, honestly, and, and you can write the best books you want, but if they don't sell at that, at the end of the day, they're sort of a waste of time. And when I realized more or less, when I guess I, when I confirmed it, I didn't realize it, I confirmed it. Um, it was the best decision I ever made. And um, the readers are thanking me for that because they're buying a lot of books. You're, I think you're on to something. This is also alluding to something we chatted about earlier offline. Uh, this is, I think we're in an, un, just gauging from our discussion, how many millions of people are, are there like us out there who enjoy the same things we do, who have these same you know, engagement with the parts of the world that have come before us. I think we're in, you know, this is an underserved market and there's a voracious appetite for this sort of content. Oh yeah, and and honestly, we can both thank. No, actually, no, we can thank. I mean, regardless how awful this comes out, we can actually thank um, Corona for this. And I, I know that's depending on what side of the fence you are on with that. This is uh, probably a bad thing to say, but people needed an outlet. People needed travel. They needed they needed uh, to disassociate themselves from the world. And. Um, Amazon has definitely seen a spike. Uh, the Kindle Unlimited program has definitely seen a spike. Um, when you realize people for a while, and um, I mean, it sucks, but people for a while had nothing else to do, nowhere to go. And I wholeheartedly believe they escaped into fiction. And in this case, they escaped into fiction that also travels the world and gives them a new kind of a, a, a new outlet on life. And in this case, it's just the stories. And when I had readers specifically message me and said, man, being able to escape the, my current situation, whatever it is, really helped. Like this was a great therapy for me almost. And, and, and I know a lot, of, and a lot of authors who I've talked to have also said the same thing is it's just like writing in general. I mean, it's escapism uh, for us and, you know, for the reader, it's the same thing. And, um, I think there's a connection there, especially when there's like a lot of world travel when world travel was dead for a a long time. Um, I, I, I think the two things just kind of married each other. Um, and I know I've seen a spike since then in the interest in this stuff and, um, it just continues. And, um, I don't mean to be like black hearted about stuff like that by any means, but it's like, there's like a correlation, I think, with um, the renewed interest in a lot of this stuff versus um, people not being able to go out and do it on their own for a while. You're, you're, you're on to something and, you know, there's nothing wrong with being practical. As you said, at the end of the day, this is a business and unless you're doing it as a hobby, which is fine, too. Mm-hmm. 
we have to be aware, you know, you have to always look to the bottom line and yeah. understand. I think that's the yeah. interest that you and I both have is it is a hobby, but it's a, also a hobby that we get paid for. Um, and uh, but it comes out in our work. Mm-hmm. And and I really, 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 really love this stuff. And I want that to come out in my work. And that's the thing is I'm not just writing for the bottom line. I'm writing in a genre that I also adore. And it just so happens to also be a genre that does well. And I, I, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I, I can't say enough uh, thank yous for that for to people. And um, I really want that to, you know, to be very clear to people that, you know, um, we are writing in a specific genre that is like near and dear to us. This isn't just business for me. I know it's not for you. Like that's not the only reason we do this. It's, it's these stories mean a lot to us so much so that like Jack's grandma, who, uh, is like the, the basis for him going to Poland in the first book as, um, got a lot of the representation of my grandmother. Um, and, uh, she wasn't a, she's from Poland or she was, I mean, she's passed away now for a while, but, um, she was from Poland. Um, she grew up here in the States, but her, she lost a lot of family in Poland during world war II, And, um, so I did, but, um, she did, but, uh, you know, her, her maiden name, her middle name, it was all names that I pulled from, uh, so Agatha Catherine Stremka, which is Jack's grandmother is Catherine Stremka is my grandmother's middle name and maiden name. Um, and, um, I pulled a lot of like, like there's a lot of personal, uh, attachment to these characters and, um, it's what I hope comes out in the stories as well. I will say I can see that. So again, I don't want the forgotten fortune, your first book, mm-hmm. the, I'm trying to think how to say this, the scene in the historical area of import from world war two, where it's really the inciting incident for the whole story. You can see that come through there. It's pretty it's as much emotional as it is action packed, and it's a pretty cool, pretty cool scene. Again, I don't want to give anything away. No, yeah, thank. You. It's it's been out for a bit. If people haven't uh, read it, you know, I guess it's kind of like movie spoilers, right? If you haven't seen it by now, it's kind of your own fault. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and, and th- there's a lot of that, and and you know, I I've talked about you know, it's okay to humanize your characters. You know, people want to see your character cry. They want to see your character just get beat the snot. They they want to see they want to see him bleeding. They want to see him depressed. They want to see him, you know. Not everybody can be the the eighties and nineties action hero. You know the Stallones and you know Schwarzeneggers of the world. You know, I mean that had its place for a long time, but now it's just seen as you know very cheesy and unrealistic. And we are trying to bring a little realism into these fictional tales, and um, uh, and, and a lot of that is just uh, blending our own experiences and i guess in our own emotion into these characters without it just being like us because that would be like incredibly boring i would have died immediately in a in a situation like that but um but i but i think that's that's where you know the connection is real when it comes to these these good stories where you know maybe that's something that some authors need to kind of reflect on you know if they if they think they truly write a great story and um for one reason or another, it doesn't sell. It's not necessarily a marketing problem. It's not necessarily a subject matter problem. Uh, maybe there's just not enough um, of themselves in the characters. That, so something you just said, good stories. I, I, I had um, somebody said this long before me, but bad decisions make good stories. And when I'm in doubt, I always try and remember that. It's like, okay, where do we go from here? Somebody's got to make a bad decision. This will get interesting real fast. Yeah, 
There's more human, and we all make bad decisions. And the more humanized your characters can be, the less characteristic they become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't want them to be like too like like you said like that cliche where it's like okay like because then you can you can you can just see where it's going. You, you know, there's no there's no suspense. There's no wonderment anymore. It's like I've seen this story a hundred times, and I know exactly what's about to happen. And you know, like I mean, if, if as you probably know jack loses a lot of fights um he is a guy that isn't afraid to fight dirty he has zero qualms with fighting dirty because in real life there is no such thing as a fair fight and um there's even though he's got the military background he's got the confidence in himself he also understands when he's outmatched he also understands when uh not fighting is the answer um and there's there's that's a realistic way to look at things. You know, you're not just going to charge headlong into, you know, uh, 10, a group of 10 mercenaries with a paperclip, you know, you're, you're not MacGyvering yourself out of this kind of situation. You are going to die. And, uh, that would be a, uh, short series. Oh, no, I, uh, so, you know, kind of to bring it back around, you were talking about, um, how we all have a, a piece of this in the past. And I think that, you know, Nobody's perfect, and you do a great job. And what I think people get engaged with, I know I do, is that if we have somebody who you can see a little bit of yourself in, be it the protagonist, the antagonist, uh, whoever, if you can see some some reality, either you know that I can relate to this person, or somebody I know can relate to it. You mentioned your grandmother was an inspiration for Jack's grandmother. Uh, if you can see that, and I'm sure other people can see some qualities or characteristics that their grandparents had. Creating that link between the the consumer, the reader, which could be me or you or anybody else, any of our readers, and in the story, that really drives the engagement and that really makes it resonate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and completely, completely agree, completely agree. You know, um, but uh, so back, you were talking about the Revolutionary War and stuff and that kind of um, stuff that you're into. I also know you did a book in your, what is it, Parker Chase? Yes, yeah. Um, that is very heavily influenced in that, correct? So that all, correct. That, uh, the Parker Chase series, the, it all starts out, it's tied to, again, the MacGuffins, the kind of the artifacts, the mysteries. They're surrounding the Revolutionary War period to begin the first few books of that series. Just because I, you know, it's a, a fascinating time. The world's changing. There are so many question marks, and that's one of the beauties of writing about the past. There's so much we don't know, and so much that could plausibly have happened. So it's a an endless mine of inspiration to find story ideas. Uh, so that focuses on a on a guy who's going through some trauma. He's like, and this was a kind of an attempt. He's an everyman, and he's a regular Joe, and he just gets caught up in something bigger than himself, and it turns into a a whirlwind story of of action, adventure, personal discovery, relationships, loss, like the whole nine yards. And something you said earlier made me think about this. You can quickly get in over your head if you don't bring your characters in. Yep. That That is a, a lesson everyone has to learn. I mean, you have these grand ideas, but it's important to tell the story. Yeah, and uh, learn from my experience and um, don't get too far into a series before you realize that. So, uh, and unfortunately I, I learned the hard way, but uh, I'm human. And at the time was a very young writer. Uh, not that I'm an old man in this industry by any means, but I've learned a lot 
and um, I am currently working on my 28th title. Wow. Um, so uh, for That's a long time, I was pumping out uh, nearly if about five to six books a year and um, various lengths. I have a few novellas baked into there, but, uh, you know, but then there's like this thing called kids and a house and a family and, you know, for a while, I'm still working full time. Um, recently, it's changed, but it's it's one of those situations where you you slow down, and for the better, at least in my current situation, is it's weird. It's like the evolution of a writer, and I'm actually kind of interested in your 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 um, take on this. Is early in my work, I was very straightforward and to the point with everything I wrote because I didn't want to beat around the bush. I didn't want to feel like I was wasting time or the, the reader's time, I should say, uh, filling a story with a bunch of fat that was unnecessary. Now, my books are almost twice as long as they used to be, and none of it feels fattening. It's like not bragging by any means, but it's more self-realization. I'm like, this book should have been over a long time ago, and it's not. And it's just the story developing. I'm more willing to go down those rabbit holes because I, I'm more confident that I can get out of them. And it's like, a lot of my books, I always targeted like 70 to 80,000 words because I thought the reader would see the word count, see the page count, and be more willing to give me a try because it wasn't this long, exasperated tale of fat. And, uh, you know, the last two books I've put together have been 120,000 plus, and it's completely and wholly on accident. Like, the new Jack Riley on Dying Kingdom is still going, and it's like 118,000. And um, I'm nearing the end, so but it's like I, I don't plan on it. It wasn't anything that I. But uh, this is where uh, my partner Nick and I have talked, and he goes, "It's probably just you evolving as a storyteller and being more comfortable with going the extra mile and being confident in it versus um, steering clear of it because you're more afraid of it." And um, I was kind of interested in, in, in your uh, decade-long career now. Um, kind of from start to finish, have you seen like that same type of evolution in your storytelling where you're like, like the realization of it, I want to say, where you're like, man, like you sit back and you kind of reflect and you're like, there's no way I would have done this five years ago. And now you're like, let's do it. Let's go. Like, I, I don't know if you've had any kind of moments like that. So the short answer is yes. And one thing you said made a lot of sense to me. You were worried about having too much fat. I think as we grow as storytellers, we realize that having the right type of fat provides the best flavor. And I know sure. that's a terrible cooking analogy. Yeah. You trim it all down until it's as lean as can be. You risk not giving the story time to breathe. Like, so like you said, you can narrow it down, but you don't want to. You, you learn as you go. You evolve, and your stories evolve with you as a writer. So now the story. What I'm hearing is a lot. It's a lot like what I've experienced. Uh, you know, I would, I would aim for that. You know, eighty to hundred thousand words somewhere in there. And now I'm still in the same ballpark, but those words are tighter and they're slower. So you have your peaks and valleys in your story. You have, um, you, you hit the high points, but then you also realize that. Even though the action may have stopped, the development doesn't stop. And so you learn more about the people in your story, and it's a slower pace. It's a higher word count. Uh, there's a little more meat to it. But what you're doing is providing a more satisfying overall experience. Yeah, no, that's a, a 
beautiful way of putting it. Exactly. And I'm also more dedicated to the setting where like, it'll be 100% centered around Jack. But even if it's as simple as him driving through like the foothills of the Himalayas and he's seen these really awesome sites and these cool things, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the actual storyline, um, the experience of him seeing it is also giving the reader the experience because I don't know about you. I probably am never going to go to the foothills of the Himalayas in my life. So why not explore it a little bit through vicariously through your characters? And But I think that goes back to what we were talking about is when you have a character-driven series, people don't mind following your character on this like B part of the story because they, they want to be around and ride along with the character. And um, that's one thing that I've noticed is it's just, it's, it's more fascinating, fun, but in a different way. Cause it's like, I want to know more about this area. I want to know more about the villages at the foothills, you know, in Nepal outside of Kathmandu and like that area. Like I, I want to know more about that stuff. And like through my research, I'm like, it's kind of like what we were talking earlier is like, it's almost like a disservice to the reader if I don't put this in because it's so beautiful and it's so cool. And it's like, why would I not include that? Like I'm, I would be like, I would be like angry at myself for not including it. So I just include it, but try to have, obviously it needs to link somehow and it needs to have some sort of like story development within it. But um, it's just kind of one of those things where I think I've grown like I, I, and this is just the last few years. This isn't like a, a, a terribly, you know, old idea. This is just like, I can go back into some of the other books that I've put together years ago and been like, man, I wish I had done that back then. Cause the setting was amazing. But at the time my brain is going, it has nothing to do with the story. Is it necessary? Well, theoretically, no, it's not necessary. But damn it, I wish I should have done it. <laughs> or I wish I did do it. You know, it's, it's, it's like, but that, that is the evolution that I'm talking about is now I don't bother with that. I don't care about it. I just do it. And um, it just feels right nowadays. Yeah. It's and one thing we probably both have experienced is over time you realize what, how a smaller amount of the seasoning, a smaller amount of information regarding that can allow the reader to come along with you when they fill in the blanks in their mind. So you're sure. so active about it. And that in, increased word count, you get a lot more bang for your, your buck for that. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, well, Andrew, we are approaching the uh, 50 minute mark. And I told myself I wanted these videos to be around 45. And, uh, but darn it, we're just enjoying ourselves and really getting into some deep uh, philosophical writing uh, conversation. And I absolutely loved it. I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. Um, obviously, I'm gonna want to do this again down the road, uh, in whatever facet we can come up with. But um, I really want to thank you for coming on and chit-chatting with me and really getting to kind of know you more, uh, know your work more, understand your work more, kind of where it comes from and uh, where it's going from here. Give us a uh, quick rundown on where we can find you, including obviously all your work on Amazon. Please go find it. Um, but as far as anything else, where can we find you social media-wise and all that stuff? Sure. So... Uh, uh Best place is probably my website. It's just my name, andrewclawson.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, those are the best two places. If you want to reach out, shoot me an email. Uh, I get back to everybody. You know, I love hearing from readers. And um, 
you know, I, I also have, plug, I have audio, all my audio books for the Harry Fox series will be out in the next few months. So if people are in audio, that's coming. Yeah. I also want to say thanks. Uh, it's been a blast. Uh, it's great to meet a kindred soul. Finally, you know, get to chat about this kind of stuff. It's for the first time at length. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for those of you watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We will have more videos just like this coming out. And for those of you listening on podcast, do the same thing and tell your friends, tell everybody where you can find Andrew's work. Uh, he will very much appreciate it. Um, have a good one, guys. We will talk to you next time. Welcome to Real Life Fiction. I'm Matt James with Conundrum Publishing, international best-selling author of the Jack Riley Adventure Series. And today we will be talking to author Andrew Clausen.